Um, so um, if you would turn in your Bibles, go ahead and turn uh, to Genesis chapter 12. Or you could turn on your phones for that too. I know a lot of times we use our phones nowadays for, for our Bibles. So you could turn on your phones, take them to Genesis chapter, chapter 12. Well, good. Well, tonight, I just felt in my heart, I just felt um, that I would like to talk on the aspect of faith and uh, tell a little bit of my journey with what the Lord has uh, led me and my family in uh, when it comes to growing in faith and, and uh, learning more and more about faith. And tonight, I wanted to just start with, uh, as I was going, as I was studying and I was praying today, I had a whole set of scriptures, actually out of Hebrews 11, which we'll actually get to some of that tonight, um, talking about faith. But as I was in there, as going through uh, Hebrews 11, of course, you go through and you see all the heroes of faith, and Abraham stuck out to me. And as I was reading Abraham, I thought, I'm just going to go back to Genesis 12. I'm going to go back and just, just read his story again. And as I did, I was just, just struck, um, really fret in a fresh way, um, how he, you know, he is our father of faith, right? He's... He is our, the father of our faith, um, and I wanted just to start and just go through the aspects of faith that we can see with Abraham. And so we're going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, starting verse 1 to verse 4, and we're just going to go through a little bit of his story, uh, how he starts off, and just sort of break it down. And then again, I wanted to share a little bit of the things the Lord has uh, shown or done with me personally. Um, and growing me in these areas. And I'll just say this, I am one of little faith, uh, but I know this is that uh, he's taken me on a journey, my wife and I and our family, on a journey that has taken that little itsy-bitsy little bit of faith and taken it to be just a little faith. You know, he's, he's grazed it up a little bit. And so our faith is ever so increasing. Um, and, and then I, I want to end tonight, too, just with um, uh, just tools. How do we overcome in faith and how do we, how do we grow in our faith? Uh, we know the scripture, you know, in Hebrews 11, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? It's the evidence, evidence of things unseen. And you probably all have heard that scripture, you could probably quote it, but then you like think, okay, but put that in English. Take that out of bibli you know, biblical terms. <laughs> what, what is that? Faith is evidence of things hoped for, you know, or substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Like, oh, what is that? And, you know, we have this like biblical terms for things, but how does that actually apply to my life? How does that actually, in my day-to-day, -day, how do I actually grow in this? How do, I, how do I please the Lord in this? And so that's what I hope tonight that, that we get to accomplish. Sound good? Amen. Well, good. So Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you, and I'll make, you, make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And so the first thing I just noticed here um, uh, that I want to point out is that faith requires hearing the voice of the Lord. It says that the Lord said to Abram, and Abram hears the Lord, and he's actually, the Lord speaks to him this direction of what he is supposed to do. And there's, you know, we know the scripture that it talks about, uh, um, um, here, you know, faith comes by the word, and, and the word, uh, uh, you know, it, or faith comes by hearing the word. And this is, uh, uh, there's a difference between hearing the word of God and walking in faith and work, walking in assumption, Right? So assumption is this. Assumption is to take for granted or not to have proof. In other words, not to necessarily hear a voice, but we just think, well, uh, I'm supposed to, you know, maybe I need to just go pray for this person, or maybe I need to just take a step of faith because it sounds like it might be God. It might sound like that's what somebody would do, but it's not the Lord's direction in our life. And many times we can, take, uh, we can mix up faith and assumption. We can uh, get those two things confused. But it's important that we understand that faith requires hearing the voice of God for it to be faith. Is that Romans 10, 17, which I was trying to quote, but it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, in this passage in Romans, he's talking about the proclaiming of the gospel. He's saying, he's talking about those who, he says, anyone who wants that would be saved, uh, they just need to believe, but how will they believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless somebody preaches to them? 
And then he says, this is how faith comes, by hearing the word. And there's an aspect of hearing the gospel uh, that takes us, we have to hear the gospel for, our faith, for faith to be activated in, in us to uh, uh, begin this journey of faith. But this word, it says, and hearing through the word of Christ. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The word, word, it's sort of weird to say that, isn't it? The word, word there. The word there is rhema. So there's different words, Hebrew and Greek words, that we have translated, it says, for words or for speaking. And the word here is rhema. And rhema is, as probably most of you know this, it means the spoken word. In other words, faith doesn't just come because we hear a preacher say something, because we saw somebody do something, so we try to do it. Faith comes by hearing the word, and we walk in obedience to that word. Amen? There's an example, there's a story um, in the book of Acts where these sons of stevia, stevia, I like to say stevia, but it reminds me of the plant that my wife likes to uh, use for sugar and sweetener. Uh, that's not how you pronounce it. But uh, <clears throat> it's these seven sons, and he was, well, they, see, they see Paul um, doing these miraculous wonders. They see him casting out demons, and they think, wow, that's what, you do. that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. So let's just go do that. And so they find this demon-possessed man, and they begin to try to cast out demons. Well, it doesn't go well with them. They actually, the, the demon-possessed man overpowers them, uh, uh, beats the living daylights out of them, strips them basically naked, and shames them, and they have to go running off. And now you think, well, I mean, they tried, right? They had a good effort. But the difference was is that they were in an assumption. They were thinking, oh, that's what I see happen. I must go do that without hearing the voice of the Lord command him to do so. Does this make sense? And so this is important. This is the first thing we see with, with uh, Abram and God is that the Lord tells Abram specifically, I want you to go do something. Or I want you to go somewhere. And it's Abraham's obedience um, to that voice uh, that, that, that uh, uh, expresses his faith. As you continue on, it says that he goes from, he, the Lord tells him to go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And this, this reminds me of this about faith, that faith requires, now listen here, faith requires forsaking all. This is what God had told Abram. He says, I want you to leave your your country, the place that you know, I want you to leave your kindred, your family, your father's house. Now, his father had just died, and so he has all of his family and all whatnot. He, but God says, I want you to take you and your immediate family. I want you to leave, and I want you to go. And, uh, um, um, and he calls him to forsake all. Now, when we think of forsaking all, we think of, well, that means, okay, i got to forsake everything that I have right now. But that's not, that's not necessarily what I'm meaning. And what, what I believe the Lord, it means uh, what, the, what the scripture is, is telling us here. When it requires forsaking all, forsaking all is forsaking all of our reasoning, forsaking all of our um, 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 ways that we would do things, and we go entrusting the Lord. Actually, I've heard it said this way. A long time ago, I remember hearing somebody describe faith this way. He said, faith is this. It's forsaking all, I trust him. He used the F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking all. I trust him. And that's, I felt, when I remember hearing that at a young age, and it just struck with me. I think, oh, that, that makes sense to me. That's, that's right. That forsaking all, I trust him. So wherever he's calling me to trust him, he's speaking to my heart in an area to trust him. I must forsake all that I would want to hold on to, and I must trust him. Does this make sense? And so this is, this is a, another requirement of faith is, is not only does it require us to hear the voice of God, that we must, must, must know his voice and hear it, which is an important area of faith, right? Hearing God's voice is an important area of faith, but it also requires that we forsake what we know and what we trust to follow him. We can't have um, 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 our comforts, I guess you could say it this way, we can't have our cake and eat it too. You heard that phrase? So we can't have you know, the things that we normally, how we would do things, and also walk in a walk with faith with the Lord. Because it requires that we forsake all and trust him. So he says that Abraham had to leave his country, his father, and his family. <clears throat> so faith, essentially, what it, what it comes down to, it boils down to this, that it requires leaving our old identity and patterns behind. You see, we all have our own patterns and our own ways of doing things that we've been we grew up in our families with uh, certain patterns and certain ways of doing things we grow up in our towns and societies and we have a way of doing things we all have a way of doing things as westerners that most of the world doesn't do the way that we do those things and what god is what faith requires faith requires that we forsake 
those things as the Lord speaks to our hearts, because this is what will happen every time, is that every time the Lord speaks to you, he's going to speak to you in a way that makes you have to leave the things that you are used to or the things that you are um, um, bring safety or security to you. He'll, want, he'll make you step away from those things. Why? Because he wants to be our safety and security. The Holy Spirit has a name. Uh, one of his names that he goes by is Comforter, Right? He is our great comforter. Well, the Holy Spirit, many times, you know, the, as the Lord, he is, he is, what he's trying to do is get us in uncomfortable situations so that we can experience his comfort, right? Because we can't experience a comforter if we got our own comfort around us, right? And this is why it's important. This is why every time the Lord calls us deeper into him, he takes, we have to take a step of faith. He calls us to do something that's usually counterintuitive to, to our patterns or to the way that we would do things. And he calls us away from those things to trust him so that he can be those things instead. <clears throat> Another aspect here um, in this verse, he says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Faith not only requires us leaving our old identity and patterns behind, but Moses did not know where he was going except to a place God would show him. And this is another, another aspect of faith as I was just looking at this and I've experienced in my own life is that faith does not mean one knows where they are going. No, uh, not no I'm sorry, not no. Um, um, Abram, Abram here did not know where he's going. God did not tell him where he's going. God just told him to go. And so that's, especially for us as Westerners, that's a very difficult thing because we want to know what's, what's, what's up ahead, what's going on. In fact, I, I would venture to say that majority of our prayers are those type of prayers. God, tell me what to do. God, tell me what's going to happen. Tell me. We want that security of knowing because it brings us false security, essentially. It brings us security to us if we have some knowledge of what's going to happen. But the Lord doesn't work that way. He says, no, no, no. I want you to trust me. Not trust your own intuition, not trust your own uh, abilities or your own understanding. I want you to trust me. And so with, like, with Abram, the, our father of faith, he calls us out to places and he doesn't necessarily tell us where we're going. He just says, go. And that takes a lot of faith. There's a story I heard uh, a long time ago about Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa's... Uh, one, uh, I don't know if you've ever read any of her biography or any of her books, but uh, she is was one of the, I believe, one of the, the greatest saints that actually have lived in our generation, lover of Jesus. And um, um, she's greatly impacted my life, her books and her stories, just the way that she lived a life fully trusting Jesus um, in all things, in all ways. And I remember there's a story that she was asked to pray for someone. Someone asked, came up to ask for prayer, and they wanted prayer for clarity. And they came to her and said, you know, Mother Teresa, Mother, would you pray for me for clarity? They said, you know, I, I, I often don't know what the Lord wants me to do. I often I feel uh, frightened or whatnot. And, and it seems like you, Mother, um, you know, you seem to have such clarity. And you seem to have such confidence and know what you're doing and have sort of like this idea of what's all happening. And, and so, she, so he asked, can you just pray for me, Mother, for, for, uh, that I would have clarity? And her response was this. She says, I'm not going to pray for you to have clarity, but I'll pray for you to have trust because that's what you need. You need trust, not clarity. And you see, so often we think clarity or the knowledge of we, if God would just tell us, well, how is this going to end? Or what are we supposed to do? A, B, C, D. Give me D and I'll do B. You know, I'll take step B if you could give me the, the end goal. But that's not how the Lord works. He says, no, I want you to trust me. Because this whole issue of salvation isn't about just going somewhere. It's about being with somebody, namely Jesus. It's about a relationship, right? And every relationship, every good relationship is built on one primary factor. It's built on trust, isn't it? And so the Lord, what he's continuously trying to do and what he's doing, he's wooing us to trust him more and more and more. And, and so he'll speak to us and he does this for each and every one of us. He speaks to us in certain areas of our lives, in certain situations of our lives. And he, he just says a, a, a very simple direction usually, or a very simple uh, uh, command, and without a lot of details with it or a lot of explanation. 
And why does he do that? Why doesn't he just give us the, here it all is. is I'm going to give you your whole life's pattern. You know, I'm going to tell you what you're going to become. I'm going to give you, you know, all of that. Why doesn't he do that? Because he's always after building trust. Because he knows our heart. He knows that our hearts don't fully trust him. And he loves us anyways, which is amazing and awesome. And he never gives up on us. But his goal is not just to get us somewhere. It's that we would be in him and grow in relationship with him. Amen. And so not only does faith require hearing the voice of God, not only does faith require forsaking all, but faith also requires courage. If you flip over to Genesis 15, there's just another aspect here that... um, Uh, another time where the Lord begins to speak to Abram. In Genesis 15, 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your your reward shall be very great. Have you noticed in Scripture how many times the Lord says, Do not be afraid or fear not? Do not fear. Fear not. It's usually when he shows up because it's probably pretty intense, right? But there's a reason other than that, that he says, fear not, because he knows this, is that we get scared very, very easily. <laughs> we get anxious, we get fearful, and we, we doubt very, very easily. And so he brings comfort. He says, it's going to take courage. He knows that it's going to take courage on our part. And so he says, fear not, do not fear. And this is what he tells Abraham. You see, courage is not the absence of fear, but it's what? It's the ability to face our fears. See, when we run away from our fears, we're actually running away from our maturity. We're running away from our growth. If we run to our fears, knowing in God we have that he is going to be, as he tells Abram Abram here, he says, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And we can face our fears with courage. Then we grow in maturity. And that maturity is this, not just a lot of times when we think of maturity, we think of like, you know, grade school or kids growing up and you grow more mature. Maturity in Christendom is not just becoming smarter. It's growing in relationship with him. It's becoming more one with him. That's what maturity is. It's, it's this uh, uh, de- a, a deepening of our relationship with him. One of humanity's biggest fears is the fear of the unknown. I mean, if you think about it, I, uh, just even for the... Just for an example, just in your own life, think about maybe the number one prayer request on, your, on the top of your list right now. The number one prayer request top, on the top of your list right now probably does not, it could for some, somebody in here, but probably for the majority of us, does not have to do with the immediate right now today. It probably has to do with something in the future, Right? When we have the bills that come up, when we have, oh no, what's going to happen when my job ends in three weeks? What's going to happen when my kid goes to college next month? When, what's going to happen? The fear of the future, which is the fear of the unknown, because the, un- the future is unknown to us, is usually one of humanity's biggest fears. This is why Jesus tells us, do not worry about tomorrow. Today's enough. He said, if you could just, just, just be concerned about today, he's like, you're winning. That is it. Don't worry about tomorrow. Right? He says, you don't have to worry about all of those things. But I find this, not just, not just with people that I get to minister to, but in my own life, I find this, is that most of my prayer requests are about future-related things that have nothing to do with today. We're building a wall right now in our house, or we have this retainer wall that has to be built because we just bought a new house, and uh, we, that thing was all busted out, so we had to get it repaired. And as we're, it's being repaired... I'm, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, I need all the finances to make sure that this thing gets all paid for. Well, guess, and, and this has been a, b- a major concern of mine. It's been something I've been bringing to the Lord and, g- and giving to him. And you know what he keeps saying? Gabe, don't worry about tomorrow. It's not due today. I'll give it to you when it's due, right? It's when it's due, then you can worry about it. But don't worry about tomorrow. Just worry about today. You see, to, to have faith or to walk in greater faith and to walk in the faith that pleases God requires that, that we have courage. And courage means that we could take those fears that we're facing and we could take them with God and walk right through them. And guess what? Majority of the time, you could probably look at your own life, but I know this in my, own, my, my life, the majority of the things that I tend to worry about turn out to be just fine. They turn out to be Okay. Life goes on. Everything's great. Everything's okay, right? But we can spend our, our days and our, our weeks and our, and our energy on this area of fear 
because the Lord has not explained to us what he's going to do in three days. Because he doesn't tell us what, he, what we're going to be when we're young or what's going to happen in a week, we get all, we all been out of shape. And he says, no, I want you to not fear. Do not fear. I am your reward. I am your shield. And when he says, I am your shield, he's saying, I'm going to defend you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to take care of you. It's going to be okay. Would you just trust me? I really do love you. I really do care. And I'm really there. I'm really present. That's what he's saying to Abram. That's what he says to us. As we look at this father of faith, uh, our father, uh, the father of, of our faith, Abram, that God says this. He says, I will be your exceedingly great reward. It's interesting. The Lord does not say, Abram, fear not for this and this and this is what's going to happen. And I'm going to, you know, this, this and this and this is going to happen. He doesn't tell him the details. He just says, focus on who I am. And as you focus on me, then he'll give you the strength and the courage to continue to walk this thing out. And you're going to find that I really am faithful. I really am your shield. I really do protect you. I really will give you the counsel right when you need it. And I really, really, I really will give you the provision right when you need it. I really will do these things. And so faith requires courage as well. Another aspect is that as he says, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Faith requires us to know God. It requires us to know God. Faith is believing who God says he, who God says he is. I've said this before. It's something that's been, that's been resonating in my heart. When many times when we think about faith or to exercise our faith, right, to grow in our faith, we usually think about us stepping out into something and God, you know, it's like, I need to increase my faith. I need to go pray for more people, right? Does anybody ever feel like that? No, I'm the only one. Okay. Maybe, uh, may I, I, you know, whatever it is. All right. Or I need to do this more. Maybe I need to share my, my, my witness. I need to be a witness more often. Anybody feel that? Anybody else? Okay. Make sure I'm in the right room. Uh, and so, and there's aspects of that there's, there's good things, but a lot of times I think, oh, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an, it's a, uh, uh, if I do those things, I'm just, that's, that's my faith being exercised. But my faith being exercised, according to the scripture here, is not so much me doing things or believing God will do things. It's me focusing on the one who is all things. He says, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. It, see, faith has more to do with the knowledge of God than the abilities of God. It doesn't take much faith to believe that God can do anything. I mean, logically, if we believe there's a God, obviously he created this entire thing, this planet, the cosmos, and us. So, I mean, logically speaking, apparently he can do anything, right? It doesn't take a lot of faith for that, right? That's, that's just logically speaking. But most of the time, that's where we put our faith. Yes, God, we believe in your ability, so I have faith in you. And what he says back, he says, that's nice, but do you really have faith in who I am? Not just my abilities. Do you know that I will do it? Do you know that I love you? Do you know that I will actually move on your behalf? That's where faith comes in. And see, many times this is where we struggle. We believe God can do anything. We just don't believe that he'll do it for us. And that, that is the testing of our faith. That's the revealing of our faith. You see, faith requires us to know who God is. Hebrews 11.6. six. Why don't you just flip over your, in your scriptures to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read a few of the scriptures out of there. <clears throat> in Hebrews 11.6, as you're scripting on over there, I'm going to just take a, take a moment to look at, uh, to go over those promises that, that, uh, that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12. Go ahead, Hebrews chapter 11, get on over there. But in, he, in Genesis 12, that first verse we looked at, it says, God tells him, he gives him these promises. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. He says, Abram, follow me. I want you to come follow me. Leave your father, leave your mother, leave, leave all your stuff, follow me. And I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make your name great. I'm going to, I'm going to make you a blessing. And I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And we look at that, he's giving him these like promises. But he's doing more than giving, him his pro giving Abram promises. He's actually revealing who he is. He's revealing, God's revealing himself to Abram. He's saying, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Now, he's talking to a 75-year-old man that has no children. A 75-year-old man with no children. And he's saying, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. He's telling, he's telling Abram in an indirect way, I can do the impossible, Abram. 
I can do the impossible and I will. I will do something that's not possible for you to do in your own flesh. I'll, I'll do something that only I can do. This is who I am. I'm the God of the impossible. He says, I'll bless you and make your name great. What he's telling him, he's indirectly he's telling him, Abram, I am a generous and benevolent God. I am kind. I'm going to bless you, not because you're awesome, because I'm awesome, and I'm going to bless you, because I'm benevolent and I'm kind. He's revealing to Abram who he is. And he also says, I'm not just going to bless you, make your name great. I'm going to make you a blessing. He says, it's so good doing this. I'm going to allow you to participate with me and giving blessings out and being a blessing to others. That's how awesome this is going to be. Not only do you get to get to receive from me, you get to participate with me. And he shows that, and, and it's, it's a revealing of who God is. And then, of course, he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all he's saying, what he's saying to Abram, it's not just promises. He's revealing himself. He says, I am going to love and protect you. Part of, part of love is protection. I protect my wife and my kids. Why? Because I love them. I, will, I protect, I protect the, 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 the doctrine of the theology that comes into our community. Why? Because I love you. There's a, there's a protection and love go hand in hand. And that's what God's saying. He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I'm going to curse those who curse you. In other words, Abram, I love you and I'm going to protect you. You don't have to be afraid. And he's revealing to Abram who he is. Look at Hebrews 11 verse 6. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him, please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's impossible to please God unless we have faith. And it gives us two, two definitions of faith. It says that we must believe that he is. Now, some of your translations uh, may say the believes that he exists. Um, but I don't, that's not exactly what the, what, the, what the author is trying to get here. Yes, of course, you have to believe that God exists to have faith. Yeah, that's just a no, that, that's, that's like one plus one equals two. Yes, of course, you have to have that. But he's saying, he says, you must believe that he is. The term he is actually comes from when God speaks to, speaks to um, Moses and he declares his name, the Lord, he declares Yahweh to him. When, when Abram said, or I'm sorry, when Mo, Moses says, who do I tell the people? What do I tell them? Who sent me? What's your name? And God says, I am. In other words, God says, there's nothing that can define me. You want a name? I can't give you a name that, that you understand because nothing can define me. The only thing that defines me is myself. I am. Everything I am, I am the definition of myself, essentially is what he's saying. And, and then he turns it and he says, and, and, and the Lord says to him, so say to the people that, he doesn't say, say, I am sent to you. He says, say, he is sent to you. He turned it and made it a, 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 uh, and, and to the third person. And that's actually what, where Yahweh comes from. It comes from that, that word, and Yahweh actually means he is. He's self-existent. He's, he's uh, um, 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 all, all, all inclusive within himself. He is. And so what he's saying here in Hebrews eleven six, 6, he says, he who comes to God must believe that he is. He is the definition of all things. This is important. Because many times we come to God with our definitions of things and try to put it on God. And he says, no, no, that's not me. So we say, this is, for a simple example, we say, we say God, this is what kindness means. It means that, you're, that nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. And if you allow bad things to happen to me, I can't really believe you're kind. And he's like, yeah, you don't understand kindness because you don't understand eternity and you don't understand this entire plan. You don't understand what I'm really trying to do with you. It's like my children saying, Dad, you're not kind when I discipline them. Now, at that moment, they obviously don't think I'm kind. But I am being kind, aren't I? The scriptures tell it, and, and not only the scriptures, but, but uh, just our own practice tells us that if you have a child who's well-trained, guess what? They are self-confident. They, they, have, they, have, uh, they feel loved. They are a blessing to those around them. Amen? And isn't that the kindest thing we could possibly be? It's not always, always non-painful. Sometimes it's very painful. Sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a process. But if we put our definitions on God... And we say, no, this is what I believe kindness. This is what love means. This is what love is. It means that you're going to accept me just the way I am. It doesn't matter if I screw up or anything. You're just going to give me grace, grace, grace. And he's like, you don't actually understand love. I am love, son. I'm love, daughter. You actually have to look at me for your definitions. 
You actually have to look to me to define all things. He says, I'll give you the definition because I am all things. I am the all in all. And so he says, you, that, uh, uh, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. And then this is the second part. What is he? He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You see, faith is more about the knowledge of God, that he is good. He is a rewarder. He is not a distant God, but he's a God who fully knows and is fully aware. And he, told, and he fully gives to those that diligently seek him. <clears throat> and so faith requires us to know God. You guys doing okay? Good. Let's look at Abram at the test of faith. We've gone through what does faith look like. Faith, we have to hear the voice of God. Faith requires us to hear the voice of God. Faith also requires us to forsake all or forsake the comforts or forsake the things that he's calling us away from. Faith also requires courage. And faith also requires us to stare at God and to know him. And in every one of our lives, there's going to come a time where there's a test of faith. Hebrews 11, we're just look at the Hebrews passage about Abraham in verse 17 to verse 19. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he, he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to even, God was able even to raise him from the dead, for which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham, we looked at the beginning where Abraham's faith, God was taking him on a journey of faith. And that journey of faith was tested. We know this story, what we just quoted here out of Hebrews, is that God required him or God asked of him, this son that I have given to you as a promise, as a covenant, that out of him you will be a blessing to all the nations, you will become a great nation, you will be a blessing to many, and I will bless you with much. That promise, I want you to lay it on the altar and I want you to give it back to me. I want you to destroy it. Now, that makes absolute no sense, does it? That, that's, that doesn't make any sense. But God, you're the one that gave me this promise and you're the one that made it happen. But then God tests him. And this is, what, this is what the Hebrew, the, the writer of Hebrew says about Abraham, is that he was able to pass this test because he considered God, that God is not a God that he should lie. If he's asking me to do this, I mean, apparently he's going to raise him up from the dead because he's not a God that he should lie. He doesn't lie. Abraham knew God. He knew that God's character, he knew, his, he, he knew his essence. God is not a liar. He told me, he gave this to me. I don't know how this is all going to play out. I don't know. You know, God didn't tell Abraham, I want you to go act like it. And, but, you know, no, I don't really, and I can mean it, and I'm going to provide a ram. <laughs> he doesn't say that to him. He just says, do it. Just like when he told him to go. He didn't tell him where he's going to go to be a great nation. He just said, go. And his faith was tested. See, many of us, and then we know the story, there's a great miracle that happens. And how many in here love miracles? Yeah, even in the Bible, wherever you're at, you're just like, even if it's the Bible, you're like, yeah, I mean, it's just all in the Bible times, whatever. But miracles are awesome. We all love miracles. We all want miracles. But you know what we don't like? We hate being in a position to receive a miracle. Right? None of us, well, in fact, I would even say this, we despise being in a position to need a miracle. And this is honestly why I believe that we don't actually see miracles. is because we do not allow the Lord to take us to places to receive a miracle. We love other people's stories, and we love miracles, and we thank God, I wish he would just do it here. He would love to do it here if we would take some faith and follow him where he tells us to go, where he leads us, and where he calls us to do, even when it doesn't make any sense, and we're battling our own patterns, our own minds, and our own uh, culture of things, and society's cultures, and we turn and go upstream with that, and we decide, no, I'm going to go against the grain. I, I know God is faithful. I know that he's not one that should lie. I know he loves me. I know he's my provider. I know he's, he, he, he heals all of my diseases. Do you follow me? and we push through, that's when we can actually receive a miracle. Testing proves what type of faith we have. Either we have little faith or we have great faith. Little faith or great faith. Throughout the Gospels, and throughout, uh, especially the book of Matthew, Jesus is constantly quantifying people's faith. He's continuously saying, you of little faith, or man, I, you have some great faith. 
And he actually gives us this quantification of faith, that faith is not just a, a, a one-size-fit-all, or it's just not a one-time thing, but it's something that we actually, can, we actually grow in. And so he quantifies. There's a, there's a, a, a story that comes to mind is, you know, the, the, the disciples and Jesus get on the boat and they go across the sea. You know the story? And there's a big, a big storm that comes up, right? And where's Jesus? He's sleeping in the bow of the boat. It's a little funny. I don't know how he's sleeping through all that, but he is, right? And then these, these fishermen who, who know the sea and who know, who've been on many, many storms before, uh, they can't, as much as they try to do all that they can in their power, they cannot get themselves out of this predicament, and it's looking dreadfully bad that they're going to die. And so after they've done all they can do, they run to Jesus. Jesus, when you wake up, what are you doing, Jesus? Jesus, don't you know we're about to die? Do you care a little bit, Jesus? Sort of sounds sometimes like our prayers, doesn't it? <laughs> Jesus, you know our situation. I'm about to die here. Come on. Do you care? Where are you? And Jesus stands up and he gets up and he, and he says to them, oh, you have little faith. And then he rebukes the storm. And you think, hold on, what, what, what just happened there? <laughs> Another time, these disciples are trying to cast out a demon of a young boy and they can't cast him out. And so the father comes to Jesus and says, hey, your disciples are trying to cast out this demon, but they can't. Could you please do it, Jesus? Can you help him? And Jesus looks at him and says, oh, you have little faith. How much longer do I have to like, keep putting up with this? <laughs> And you're like, I mean, you stop and think about it for a minute. It's almost like, really? That's the response? I mean, Jesus, they came to you, right? Right? I mean, they came to you. Isn't that what we're supposed to do in our situations? Aren't we, when we, things get bad, we go to Jesus? Jesus, would you help me out of it? And his response is, you have little faith. Now, it's not no faith, but little, little faith. What's he saying there? It begs the question, what is he asking? Why is he saying that? What's that mean? They're going to him. What is he looking for? There's other times, and it's usually, it's actually, there's two times where it's non-Jewish people. And uh, uh, one's a lady uh, uh, begging for, for, for healing for her daughter. And Jesus tests her. He said, she says, Jesus, would you heal my daughter? And he says, yeah, I'm actually just for the Jewish people right now. That's actually not for you. And she's like, She's like, well, even, and he calls her a dog, which is another. And you got to stop and think, Jesus, wow, I thought you were super kind, but that seems really rude. Um, but he says, but he says, no, I don't give it, no, we don't give uh, the children's bread to the dogs. And, and she pushes through that and she says, she says to him, but even the dogs get the crumbs, right, Jesus, up from the table. And he looks at her and he says, whoa, this is some great faith right here. Wow, I haven't actually seen this. He says it to the same thing with a centurion. What is this faith that overcomes? What does that look like? I want to tell, give you a really quick story um, in my own life of how the Lord has taken uh, and, he, and, and he's shown me in my own personal life that I have a lot of little faith and, um, and my wife actually has great faith. And I'm just going to brag on her for a minute. I want to share a story. Um, our fifth child, Jonathan, was born in Mozambique, Africa. And let me give you a little bit of background before before, uh, before all of this. So in 2003, we moved from California. We moved here to Atlanta to start the Atlanta Dream Center with my parents and our family, uh, downtown Atlanta. And uh, love that. We're working in that. We're going to do that for the rest of our lives. That's what I thought we were going to do. And eight years later, back in, it was in 2011 um, or so, it's right around there. Yeah, it was in 2011. The Lord spoke to my wife and I and made it very clear that we were to move to Mozambique, Africa. But he didn't tell us why. But we just knew we were supposed to go. And I won't go into the details of how we knew all that. But we just knew both of us had confirmation. We knew we're supposed to leave all that we've built here. And we're supposed to go to Africa. And I did not know why. And I remember asking the Lord. I asked the Lord, Lord, like, why do you want us to go there? Do you want us to work with orphans? What do you want us to do? Why do you want us to go there? Why are you asking me to leave what we love here and go there? And this is all he told me. He says, to come know me more. And so, and so we do this. You know, we, we uh, prepare to go and... Um, um, as we're preparing to go, we're going to go in 2012. As we're preparing to go, now we've had four kids at this time. And each kid has come like clockwork, right? They're, they're, like, they're like 18 to 20 months apart, right? And so I'm doing the math when we're getting closer to like, we're looking at our time frames and we're looking at the time we're going to be leave, leaving. And I'm thinking, boy, if things keep going how they're going, we're going to have a fifth child. We're going to be pregnant. And that just doesn't make any sense. The Lord wouldn't have us have a baby in Africa. That, wouldn't be, that wasn't even on the thought the pattern. And so I come to my wife and I said, "Hun, uh, you know, we need to be thinking through some details here. 
about you know child rearing, child bearing, all that type of stuff. Maybe we need to put a pause on things, and um, you know because it wouldn't make sense for us to go to Africa and then it had to come back a few months later to have the baby back here. That doesn't make any sense. And so um, so she said, yeah, let's pray about it. We begin praying about it, and I'm feeling that's the direction. I'm feeling that's right. That makes sense. Right? That just, that's logical, makes sense. We're going to follow the Lord. And so we have to do some things that, make, that are smart. But uh, she comes back and, and she says, Gabe, I just don't have a peace about that. She says, the Lord creates the babies. And so if he wants a child, he, he's, he knows what he's doing. I'm like, okay, I just want to record this just so if anybody ever asks, you know, I did not do, I know. This was your decision if something happens. Well, we end up buying our tickets, and it's a lot of money. You know, we have six of us going across, halfway across the world. It's a lot of money. So we buy our tickets, and that week we find out we're pregnant. <clears throat> so I'm like, oh, my gosh, Lord, what are we doing? And so I'm like, Lord, what's going on? This could put a whole wrench in things. And we had made a year commitment because that's what they asked for, a year commitment to be there on the missions base we're going to be at in, in Mozambique. And so I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what are we, what are we supposed to be doing? Are we, what's going on? Uh, should we stay for the whole thing or whatnot? And uh, he just said to my heart, he said, let your yes be yes and your no's be no. I'm like, okay. But I said, all right, well, I'm going to lay out the fleece, Jesus. So we're going to get there. And what I'm going to do, though, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask the base directors. I'm going to tell them, like, hey, we're pregnant. And sort of get their feeling. If they're like, yeah, okay, well, you should probably go back to the United States and have your baby. Um, then I'm going to take it. That's my out. And I'm not, I don't have to be committed to this. And so we get there and we have a dinner that week with the base directors and and uh, we tell them, oh, yeah, you know, I'm trying to, like, bring it in. Like, yeah, here we are for that year. Yeah, it's a funny thing. Like, we're uh, pregnant. Like, okay. Yeah, so, like, how do people usually do that? Like, people, yeah, it's, people are born here all the time. <laughs> Makes sense. There's a lot of people here. And, and so uh, but they said, yeah, but you want to go to South Africa, which South Africa is a three-hour drive away. Uh, you know, that would be a better place to do it. So we say, all right. So I knew, okay, we're going to be here for a year. We're going to do it. Well, I'm trying to shorten up this story, there's, Months go by. The baby's due in January. It's about after about nine months of being there. Uh, it'll be about nine months that we're there. The baby's due in January. We find a doctor and we find a midwife that's going to be in South Africa. And again, we're in Mozambique, about a three-hour drive in two different countries. And we have a house we're going to stay in. We, we booked and we're going to stay in there for, the, for a month, have the baby do the stuff you got to do, and then try to get back. Well, in November, about Four or five weeks before we're going to head down there, it's right around Thanksgiving time, we go down to that place just to have a little family rest time. And as we were down there, we realized that the lady we had talked to months before, way, way back when we first got into Mozambique, she never put us into their system. And so we weren't booked. And they had other missionaries that were coming that were already booked. And so we, there was a free thing. And so all of a sudden, we have no place to have this baby. And so at this time, it was very difficult. We were going through some, some struggles. We were actually being crucified is what we were being, and no one likes crucifixion. It's painful, but, it's, but it does produce good things. But we were, so it was very difficult. At that point, my wife just said, you know what, hon, let's, let's just go back home. I can't do this here. I'm not going to have the baby here in Mozambique, and uh, we can't go to South Africa. So I say, that's right. So I got on the phone. I'm going to change our flights, and we're going to come back home. Now, at this point, um, at this point, we're getting closer to Christmas. So we just had Thanksgiving, and um, um, so we're getting closer to Christmas. So I'm like, okay, hopefully in the next two weeks, we can just like get out of here. We could be back home and have this baby. I call, talk to the lady, and she says, yeah, we can't get you out of here till like the first week of January. In other words, all the books, all the flights were booked. So all of a sudden, we're like, this iron door <laughs> comes crashing down. We're like, well, and at that point, I'll be honest with you. I just said, Lord, maybe I am the most foolish and dumb husband ever. I don't know. This is bad. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just trying, Lord. I'm just trying to follow you, and I know that you understand that. And that, just give me grace. And so, and so I tell my wife, she says, all right, well, we're going to figure it out. Well, we, we, we uh, uh, talk to the base directors, and, and you know, we only know two people in, South, in the whole country of South Africa, two people. And so we have no connections. We don't know anybody. And so, she, so we ask our base directors, can you uh, 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 help us out? So they, they know lots of people. They, get, they get, send out a bunch of emails and contact a bunch of people that are in South Africa. And as the weeks go by, and the days, the days and the weeks go by, the emails start coming in, and each email is saying this. God bless those couple, but we don't have anything. We'll keep praying for them. And nothing was opening up. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, what are we, what are we, what's going to happen here? Well, about a week, a week before we were supposed to go down there, the, one of the two people that we know in South Africa, the midwife, uh, she, she uh, has some friends that are going out of town. And 
they are, needed somebody to stay in their house, and the person they usually have stay in their house couldn't be there. And so she just asked them, hey, would you, where's a, a missionary couple, and uh, they need a place to stay, and they need a place to have a baby. What do you think? They're like, sure, that sounds fine to us. <laughs> South Africans, I guess. Uh, but they, there's a, it sounds fine to us, and uh, so, so we're like, awesome. So we go down, and uh, we meet the people, and we're in this house for about two weeks. We have a two-week window in this house, and this is about the time the baby is going to be, uh, is about due. And so while we're uh, at this house, it's a beautiful house, and we get to spend some time of rest, and first week goes by, and I'm spending a lot of time with the Lord because I'm asking him, Lord, what are we supposed to do? We're like, this baby needs to come. The first few days, the, the doctor comes by, and he's going to, he has some pills, and he's going to, he's, uh, those pills are too induced, heavy, to have the baby start coming. And uh, I'm saying, yeah, that makes a complete sense. That's a lot of sense. We only have two weeks here. We've got to make sure this baby comes so we could have that baby and sort of get out of here and figure out what to do. And so I give the pills to Evie, and she looks at me, and she just says, she says, I just, I don't have a piece about it. I cannot do this. I can't do it. I'm like, well, honey, you know, we have two weeks in this house. And we're in a country, we know two people. We just burned one of those people. We used one of her resources. I have no idea what we're gonna do. But she said, I just don't, she said, the Lord has perfect timing. He's provided all this stuff. He's already done all blah, blah, blah. And she just went through a testimony of different things the Lord had done. So I said, all right. And so the baby's not coming. Now she's trying everything she can to get the baby to come, but nothing is happening. The days are ticking by. Pretty soon the week goes by and the last week is coming. And now all of a sudden we don't want the baby to come, right? Because if the baby comes now, then we're going to be stuck at their home. And these are complete strangers. They come home with their kids. And it's just awkward, right? It's just weird. And just, I, this can't be right. So we're like, all right, let's not try to have the baby now. What are we going to do? <clears throat> so we thought, well, we're going to have to go back up to Mozambique. We're going to have to do the, have the baby. That must have been the Lord's plan this entire time. We're going to have to have the baby up there where we didn't want to um, for various reasons. And I'll be honest with you, the moment we said that, within 24 hours, we get an email from one of the nurses on that base. And she writes and she tells us, hey, I hope everything's going well. Can't wait to see little baby Palmer, blah, blah, blah. Just let you know, the measles have come out on the base. We lived on an orphanage base with about 100 kids. The measles have come out on the base. And, uh, and, and, and so I'm just letting you know, you're not welcome back here because the baby is deadly for a baby, an infant. And you're not welcome back here. It's going to be like five or six weeks. Another iron door. Like, all right, Lord. At this point, I just started laughing. Like, all right, Lord, okay. Tell Evie, and she actually starts laughing. She says, all right, I don't know. We're going to have to figure this out. I don't know. The Lord's got us on this journey. We're just trying to follow him, to know him more. And, uh, and so the days go through, and each day is coming up. And as the days are getting closer, I'm, saying, I'm, I'm, I'm praying, Lord, that's what normally all of us do. Lord, what are we supposed to do? We only have like three more days, and we have nowhere to live. We have nowhere to be, and we have no contacts, and we can't get out of this country anymore. And now we have nothing, and we have very little money, too. And uh, the Lord just, he takes me to, to Matthew chapter 6, and he says, he, says, he says, Gabe, do not worry about tomorrow, but worry about today. And he would ask me, Gabe, is there anything you need right now? He, before he would even say that, he'd say, Gabe, did I get you to Africa? I'd say, yeah, you provide all the money for that. Did, you, did I get you, you know, did I provide uh, this house for you? Did I provide a vehicle? And he went through this list, and just in my heart, and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, do you need anything like this moment, like right now? I'm like, no, it's like three days. Like, yeah, no, right now. I'm talking about right now. No, then just enjoy the day. Enjoy me, enjoy the day. And so I would, and he'd give me grace, and we'd be like, all right, here we are, Lord. And so the day comes, and it's the last day. It's the baby's due date. It's, her, it's the due date the baby's supposed to come. The people are coming back that night. It's a Sunday. We don't have anywhere to go. And I, we end up, we have a little devotional time with our kids, and we tell them. They're around the age they can understand. So we tell them. And, and, we, and as, I'm, when I'm, as I'm praying and I'm spending time with the Lord, and, before, and as we're doing our devotion times, the Lord keeps giving me scripture after scripture. He keeps showing me. He says, he says those who fear the Lord shall never be in want. The Lord will never let the righteous be put to shame. The, the, I've never seen the, the, uh, the, right, the children of the righteous begging for bread. And he keeps giving me scripture after scripture that are just like penetrating my heart. He's, he keeps saying, Gabe, I am faithful. I am faithful. You trust me, trust me, trust me. I'm faithful. And so I get down to the last day. And at this point, I just say, all right, Lord, I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm worried about today. And I was like, game up. <laughs> this is all a big game I think we're playing here. Game up. What are we supposed to do? Where are we going, Lord? And I asked the Lord, where are we going? Because we're, we're packing up the kids. And this is my plan. This is my wise plan. My wise plan is to, my all-wise plan is to go to church because it's Sunday. And that's it. I don't know what else to do. I have no, I don't know anybody in the entire country. And we don't, 
I, I don't know what to do. So we're going to get in the car. We pack all the kids. And I'm packing the kids like, Lord, game up. I'm worried about today. Where are we going? And as I say, Lord, where are we going? He reminds me days before. We're driving in the van, we're driving in our car, we're doing some errands, and we have all the kids in the car. Now, when you have four little kids in the car, it could get pretty rowdy in there, it could be pretty loud. And one of the kids, me and my wife are trying to have a conversation, and one of the kids pipes up from the back, hey, Dad, where are we going? And as he says that, you know, I'm a little, you know, like most parents, a little frustrated at that moment. I'm like, don't worry about it, just enjoy the ride. I'm like, just, Mom and I are trying to have a conversation, essentially, so don't worry about it, you know? There's, there's zebras outside, you're in Africa for crying out loud, just, just enjoy it. And, and that really was my attitude. And I was like, don't worry about it, just enjoy the ride. And as soon as I asked the Lord that morning, as I'm packing the bags, packing the car, I say, Lord, all right, where are we going? And he takes me right back to that scene, and he speaks the same exact thing to my heart. He says, don't worry about it, son, just enjoy the ride. And so I say, all right, you got me. I said it to my son, you can say it to me, Okay. And so we get in the car, we pull out, I'm looking at my wife, and I'm like, I can't believe it, we're pulling away, I, we're, we're nowhere to go. And we go about 10, 15 minutes, we're looking for this church, but it's about 15, 20 minutes, looking for this church, and my phone rings. And it's the second person we know in the entire country. It's the doctor. And he gets on the phone, and he, I say hello, and he says, hey, um, I just came out of early morning service, um, and uh, you, are you guys still needing a place to stay, or do you guys find something? I'm like, oh, yeah, we're, we're looking a little bit. Trying to play it cool, because I'm a man. And, uh, no, no, we probably need something. And so he's like, well, um, there's a local YWAM base, Youth with a Mission base here, and uh, there's the base leaders go to our church, and I was overheard them. They were talking um, about the, the, the directors of that base. They were supposed to come back this week, and they're on furlough in America raising funds, but um, they didn't raise all their funds, so they're going to be in America for a few more months. And so I just... Went ahead and asked them. I said, hey, there's a nice little American family, a missionary family, and they need a place to stay and have a baby. And uh, would, they, would you think these people would mind? And they're like, no, that'd be great. Come and use the house. So he's like, would you guys like to use that house? So I'm like, yeah, hold on a minute. Yes, yes we'll go use the house. That'd be awesome. Thank you so much. And then we, we get there and we have the baby. It's amazing. And I remember that night I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm, I'm laying in this stranger's bed. It sounds so weird, doesn't it? But I'm laying in the stranger's bed. I'd never met them before. And I'm looking around like, God, you knew this was here this entire time. You had all of this already planned and everything was perfectly laid out to the very moment. All of this and you provided everything that we needed and all, and, and, and all of this. And you know what he is saying? Yeah, Gabe. That whole thing, you believed I was a good leader, but now you know I'm a good leader. You've experienced it. You see, this is what he's doing when he's saying, calling, calling us to increase our faith. I'm going to finish with this. See, faith that overcomes. We have to have faith that overcomes. You know what was keeping us sustained in that moment as the Lord was drawing us into it? And we had a lot of fear, especially myself. I had a lot of fear. And as was, but was kept, kept bringing peace to my heart. It was the Lord kept saying, Gabe, I am faithful. I promise you I will not leave you nor forsake you. And he kept giving me scripture after scripture after scripture about who he was. He didn't promise me what he would do. I didn't know if we're gonna have the baby in a gutter. I didn't know if it was gonna be on the side of the road and I'm gonna be under a tree. I had no idea, but I knew this, that he loved me and I was created for his glory. And that he had, at the end of the day, whatever it was gonna look like, I knew that at some point I'm gonna stand before him and then it would be really good, whatever it's gonna look like, if I just follow through. And you see, this is how we get faith that overcomes. In Revelation 12, I don't, don't turn there because we don't have time, but you can just mark it in your Bibles. Revelation 12 gives us, gives us keys of overcoming in the areas of faith. It says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and did not love their lives to the death. You see, the, he, he says it is the accuser. You know who the accuser is and what he does? He accuses you to God, and he accuses God to you. And he says, God is not good, and you're not good. And this is what he does. And, the, and, and Revelation uh, gives us a key of how they overcame. You know who they are? The saints. How do we overcome the accuser, the one, in the midst of the trial? Because we're going to face trials. So there's going to be testings. And the voice is going to come. God is not good, nor does he care. You're not, you don't have enough faith. You're not strong enough, or you're not godly enough, or whatever the thing is that he says it's the accuser that comes in our, into our ears. It says they overcame him three ways. By the blood of the lamb, first, is that, yeah, Jesus does love me. If there's anything, and maybe I can't see it 
in, in my situation, but I know this. He died for me. He, he, he covered me with his blood. He became my sin. I become his righteousness all because of his love towards me. I didn't do anything to deserve that. Right there silences the accuser saying, God doesn't love you, nor is he good towards you. No, the blood of the lamb declares he is good towards me. Right there, I have enough substance to, to stand upon. But then he also says, not only by the blood of the lamb, but by the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony is this. It's the, what they say about God. It's the saint's testimony about who God is. That's the greatest testimony we have. Yes, it's testimony of what God's done for us, but you know what? His, what he does for us is a reflection of who he is. And so we overcome him by the word of our testimony. And so when the devil or when the enemy, the accuser, it, and we're looking at our bank account, we're looking at our, our, our situation in our family, we're looking at whatever the trial is that's going on in our life, and the accuser begins to say things about us or about God, like God doesn't care, you blew it and God's mad at you, blah, blah. We could actually say, no, no, God is good, he loves me. His loving kindness is forever and ever towards me. His mercy endures forever. We could actually declare the testimony about who God is. And his silence is the accuser. And they did not love their lives to the death. In Hebrews chapter 11, if you're still there in Hebrews 11, you see, faith isn't about results. It's about following God all the way through to the end. Faith is not about results. When you stand before the Lord, he's not going to say, did, how many things did you overcome or how many awesome feats did you do? He's going to say, were you faithful? Were you full of faith? That's what faithfulness is. Were you faithful? Did you follow me all the way through to the end? You see, they didn't love their lives until their death. And Hebrews 11 lays this out, talking about the heroes of faith. He says, what more shall I say? In verse 32, if you want to follow. Verse 32 to verse 39. What more shall I say? For a time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jepheth, of David and Samuel and the prophets, through faith, they conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead, raised to life. But others were tortured, not accepting release, to obtain resurrection to a better life. And others experienced mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawed apart, murdered with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and openings in the earth. And these all were commended for their faith. Yet they did not receive what was promised. You see, faith is not about God doing stuff on our behalf. Faith is about us getting into who God is and staying faithful to that no matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter what happens. You see, our situation should not ever dictate what we feel or think or know about God. What should dictate that is our relationship with the Lord as we grow in our relationship with him. Do you follow me? This is what faith is. You see, many times we think, well, man, I pray for somebody. I, I, I try to pray for healing. Nothing ever happens. The Lord's not looking and saying, well, you should be, you're not, it's not, it's not enough faith. He's looking at you saying, thanks for being faithful. Thanks for continually de declaring who I am, that I'm a God who heals, even when you're not seeing it. He's going to say, thank you for declaring who I was in the earth and declaring my, the, when you were going through joy, uh, trials, that you were declaring joy in the midst of those trials because you were kept your eyes on the, on the finisher of your faith. You see, our lives are a declaration of who God is in this earth. And so as we go through trials, each and every one of us have different hardships in our lives right now. And every one of us have actually probably have been praying the Lord get us out of those hardships. But the Lord's not into getting us out of those hardships. The Lord's into exposing the genuine faith inside of the, what we know about God and releasing that. So in the midst of trial, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of persecution, whatever the thing might be, we could stand and say, God is good. And you know, for some, he produces miracles after miracles and miracles and others. He lets that glory continue to shine through the suffering. And it says that they were awarded or they were commended for their faith, yet they did not receive what was promised. 
Faith is not about the results. It's about following God all the way through until the end. Being full of faith is to be faithful. Amen. Let's stand, let's pray, and then we'll be done. So, Father, we uh, just come before you and we ask, Lord. We, we say it with the disciples. I say it with the disciples, Lord. I believe, but help my unbelief. And, Lord, that you would increase our faith. Lord, our faith not in your ability, but our faith in who you are. Lord, our ability of seeing who you are. Lord, let, uh, we ask, God, that you would put inside of us, Lord, a, 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 a rod of iron, Lord, like, a, like a, a rebar in our spirits, Lord, of the knowledge of you that we may, no matter what may come our way, no matter if it's a sunny day, a bright and nice day, or it's, it's, a, it's a hurricane coming our way, we could stand firm knowing, no, this is who God is, and this is who I am in him. No matter what the results, I will have faith and remain faithful. So, Father, we ask for your grace in this. We ask, Lord, you open our eyes to see who you are, even clearer, God. The things that we believe in our head, Lord, we want to experience in our heart. Lord, we want them to be true of our lives. And so we ask that you help us in these things. We thank you for your faithfulness towards us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.